I feel like millennials are struggling right now with age. <laughs> because we have Generation X ahead of us who's still pretty cool mm-hmm. in the hearts and minds of society. Uh, Generation Z after us who's kind of seen as like trendy, activist, you know, boundary pushing. And then we're like getting old and just really trying to hang on to Britney Spears and Rihanna. I I mean. And Marvel shit. (laughs) Yeah, no, we'll get to that. We're going to get into it. 90s babies, 80s babies. We're here for all the babies. Society. Actually, no babies. No babies. Seen Uh, Let's get into it. My name is Jimmy. Pour up. My name's Rooster. And this is After Two Tequila Shots. A podcast about current events. <laughs> Unfiltered, and... uncensored, unpredictable, but always distilled. Let's go, people. Let's go. Okay, okay. This baseline always gets me nice and funky. Yeah. Um, no, let's officially introduce ourselves. Uh, my name is Chibi. I am a performer, poet, producer, publisher, and community organizer. And uh, this week, I got uh, some good Valentine's Day dicking. There you go. My name is Rooster Martinez. I am an educator and an author. Uh, I recently tried to stop drinking, and then Chibi got me on a podcast that is totally centered around drinking. So <laughs> I'm here for it. Let's to, go. To clarify, it is not centered on drinking, okay? It is sure. centered on commenting on things that are currently happening in the world. We just use the libations yeah. as a lubricant. Yeah. Uh, the same way the gays use coconut oil so that we can get deep into what's actually happening. This is why I love our friendship. I learned so much that I ever knew. Were you unaware of the coconut oil? There's so many things that I learned from you about (laughs) just the gay community, which is important. And I'm like, oh yeah. Like I'm never like shocked when I watch, I don't know, the L word or Mm -hmm. euphoria or something. And like, oh, I I can't, I get that reference. Uh I'm like that Leonardo (laughs) DiCaprio meme. I'm like, hey, there it is. Yeah. (laughs) You know, what's funny though. I realized this because I had a, a co-worker I invited a co-worker out to the Blah Poetry Spot which is the weekly open mic that uh, we host here in San Anto uh, I invited him out and it's not that I was having this realization for the first time but it was kind of like it was reiterated and redawned on me I don't have gay friends mm. most of my friends are straight uh, yeah like my queer community resides within like the four walls of this house Um. And extended, right? Because I feel like I, I do a lot for the queer community, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm here and I support and like I literally work. Out in tech. A, in As a community manager for the queer community. Um, but I don't have a lot of gay friends. And what does that say about the gays of San Anto? I don't know. We're about to get canceled once <laughs> no, again. No, no. This is, this, is, this is your plea to the gays of San Anto to like, hey. I want a friend. Uh, I, let's, yeah. let's go to the park. Let's go. Like, and, and like, don't be a bitch about it. I don't know. Like, there's some snarkiness. I've, uh, I've encountered a lot of snarkiness and I'm like, I'm not here for this. I don't uh, need this in my life. I'm chill. I'm quit chill. with the snark, y'all. Like this tequila. Uh, this week we are drinking Jose Cuervo Tradicional Tequila Reposado. Um, very tasty. Very flavorful. Mm-hmm. Notes of lime. It's uh, agave. It's a it's a really good go to for like middle of the road, not too expensive, but not that cheap shit that's going to give you like a serious hangover. 
um, but with some good flavor. It's a it's a standard. I think that's the one thing about tequila that is starting to come back around more as like a sippable, drinkable, not just. Uh, I Shots had a bad, Patron. yeah. I just had a bad experience once, and I can't drink it again. Uh-huh. Kind of, kind of liquor. Yeah, and uh, I mean, if we're gonna be honest, this is all because of capitalism and how mm-hmm. many like Americans are now trying to like come out with their own tequilas and their own sure. mezcal. Mezcal is mm-hmm. having a resurgence in in the United States. George Clooney has his own tequila. D- Dwayne the Rock Johnson has, has his, his own, own tequila. Yeah, Kendall Jenner, I think. Has one as well. I don't know about that one. I also feel that like drinking has also kind of changed over the years because like bars are now kind of the thing that people like to go to, but they're mm-hmm. secretly nightclubs. And I hate that. Like I used to love, especially in the early 2000s, which uh-huh. we're going to touch on again later. Uh-huh. But there was that clear division. You went to the club. There was a club club where they had foam parties. And, and the boomchies, 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 And you boomchies, couldn't hear boomchies, anything. Boomchies. You're yelling into someone's ear. And shots that glow in the dark and all that right uh-huh. and then it was like oh i'm more of a bar person that's where i get my beer that's where I, it's more you got the jukebox it's a vibe it's mm-hmm. its own different thing and then somewhere in the mix i actually think it's because the, the great uh recession of 2008 bars go away but then clubs just became a thing. or bars became clubs became karaoke bars became all these other things uh-huh. and now everyone just goes to bars and drinks expensive alcohol uh-huh I mean, I don't. I don't. <laughs> well, I can't. I can't recall the last time I went to a club just because. Is that thing right? If I want to hang out with my friends, I want to hang out with my friends. I want to have conversation. I want yeah. you, you know, like uh, to experience things. And like at clubs, it's just like I'm yelling over the loud music. Yeah. yeah. Do, do. Hey, hello. Maybe not so this song. Did you but... see the Rihanna performance? Yeah. Uh, yeah, definitely not that song, actually. <laughs> Let me stop that. And for those who don't know, you also are an expert, like a elite expert at crafting the home space into multifaceted, enjoyable, fun time space. Yeah, because for me, it's always been about hanging out. Like, yeah. I like to hang out, not go out, which is why in Houston, I made no friends. Mm-hmm. That's not true. Uh, but, it, like, every time it was like, hey, let's do something. Yeah, you want to meet me at this bar? I'm like, no, not really. Right. But you, you also have, like, a karaoke setup better than most karaoke setups yeah out in the streets this is actually true i'm yeah. try. i really so we have a, a a leadership summit at work that i'm organizing mm-hmm. and planning and it's like it's my baby right now and i'm super excited for it uh where we're bringing in leaders from all across the world to come to hotlanta and i want to have a karaoke night in which we host karaoke but one of my coworkers is like the last thing people want to do after being in a hotel conference room all day is to go to the hotel conference room Again, like let I hard disagree. I know. I mean, like that's how I feel. I'm like, yeah, we're gonna go back to our space, but now it's a karaoke event, yeah. not a you know development event. Uh, and we can have k wine and beer provided. I don't know. Anywho, karaoke. What's your politics on karaoke? Because I know you as a karaoke performer take it very serious. Chibi goes for the a Grammy every time. Well, because Chibi sings. Yes, sings sings. Yes, yes. Uh, but like. So as someone who does it, I just perform. You've seen me. I don't sing, but I'm usually going to do a rock song and I'm going to just like 
Stevie Nicks it the fuck out. My politics on karaoke is my politics on the queer community. All are welcome. Okay. Okay. As long as you have conviction, I don't give a shit what so you sound So even about. if they're bad. Yes. Okay, cool. But as long as you have conviction, yeah. right? You have to commit to what you're doing. And if you are a terrible singer, commit to just doing the performance, right? Because I think I get bent out of shape at karaoke bars when I feel like everybody in the room is trying to win a Grammy. Because <laughs> then I'm just like, what the fuck are we doing? Like, like, like we're living our best lives. Well, like, I think it's like, it just, it's like, are we waiting for Clive Davis to walk in and like with a record contract? Like, what are we doing, man? We are sad that we didn't pursue a career in music. And so karaoke is is the, the, our pinnacle. Like that's, that's, that's where I did Hedwig for the longest time. Why? Because I never thought I was actually going to do Hedwig. Right. Right. And so it's like karaoke is all I got. Sure. You know, uh, so let us live our lives. Okay? I, no, I'm and I'm going to let you live your life yes, yes, as yes. a terrible no, singer, yeah. but brilliant performer. Thank you. It's the conviction it's the conviction. for me. Speaking <laughs> of performances, should, yeah. we, should we roll into Shall the first? Shall we roll into our uh, opening segment, uh, which is recapping the major news events of the week? We might take it a little step back, but here we go. Let's uh, let's get into what happened. Okay, okay, okay. This didn't happen this week. This happened last week, but uh, we failed to talk about it um, last week, and I want to talk about it, uh, which is the Grammys. We mm-hmm. talked about the Grammys last week. What we didn't talk about is the spoken word category. We did not. And I want to get into this. Congrats to Jay um, Ivey, first and foremost. 100%. Congrats to all the nominees. Uh, 100%. Uh, and, 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 you know, a, a little golf clap to the Recording Academy for understanding the distinction between a spoken word poetry album and a spoken word album. Um, uh, Cause I think that's an important, for those that don't know the, the Grammys, the recording Academy created a new category specifically for spoken word poetry, because in the past poets have been competing with Michelle Obama and that's just not fair. Yeah. Stephen it's Colbert t- has like a few. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. Stephen Colbert has some Grammys. Uh, Dave Chappelle. Isn't Viola Davis won that one this year, right? She won for, uh, uh, was it narration? Something oh, like that. Okay. It's a different one that's specifically for like uh, e- yeah. uh, audiobooks and things like that. Got it. Uh, so there's a new category specifically for spoken word poetry. Um, and if somehow you've landed on this podcast without actually knowing myself or Rooster, because I think only our friends listen to it, both of us are poets and spoken word artists. Uh, so this is kind of a big deal. I want to hear your thoughts on it while I finish this tequila. Uh, my thoughts on it are... Kind of similar to what I said last pod. Um, I still feel like I'm on F the Grammys. Like they don't, they're, they're such a elite organization that has so many other larger institutions that vie to get in there, that pay and promote to get their artists recognized through there, that have $100,000 campaign uh, 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 efforts to get mm-hmm. their, you know, to even get their mm-hmm. artists recognize. Um, so my question is, or the question I ask myself is, does that mean that like what is on the stage as far as nominees is in fact the best spoken word that exists? And in my opinion, not, not always like sure. No. I'll, I'll, yeah. Right. But then it becomes this thing of like, again, it's this way. Like I, I struggle with like institutions and how they segregate and, and, and sort of, 
give the nod Mm -hmm. to certain artists because like, okay, you qualify or you're in or, and there's always this feeling of like, well, anyone can get in or we can get in. Like, so a lot more poets are actually creating their spoken word poems and, 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 and and albums. And that's great. Mm -hmm. Are they going to get recognized? I don't know. Yeah. And I don't, I honestly, I'm being a little cynical about it. Probably not. Because back in the day in the early aughts, you know, like people were making their spoken word albums. Mm -hmm. Right. And that was back when you uh, were would burn your own CDs yep. and print your own. I remember like printing labels that got mm-hmm. stuck on CDs and you put them in your backpack and you walk around. And why? Because this is your art form, right? You are meant to be heard. And so you're selling your CDs so that people can go and hear you kind of akin to what poets do in that. I'm meant to be read, so I write a book and then I sell that, right? Right. Uh, I think it's it's an interesting um, step. I'm very curious to see where the evolution of what gets nominated goes. Sure. Did you listen to any of the albums that were nominated? Uh, I listened to a bit of Jay Ivey's. Like, I listened to, to Amanda Gorman's. Um, but then beyond that, like, not really, but... You know, I think that's also the thing is that you have to ask, like, well, who are their publishers or who are the the individuals behind their campaigning to even get them in those spaces mm-hmm. versus anyone else on maybe indie publishers. Mm-hmm. And again, it just I am cynical because I side on when has the Grammys ever really gotten it right mm-hmm. in all mm-hmm. facets. I mean, four times Beyonce has been snubbed for album it, of the year. We discussed that. And yes, that's we're not going back percent. to that. Yeah, yeah. And that's totally true. So it's like, I don't really suspect that it, I can see it getting better. Mm-hmm. I can see it. I can see years of, of a lot of poets vying to get in, maybe not getting in, um, more Cause, cause, established poets getting in there. And and that's where my like concern about like what gets nominated uh, is rooted in, because I listened to a number of the albums. Um, as well as uh, Felita Hicks, who is a member of the Recording Academy and a poet and spoken word artist out right. of Texas. Shout out to Felita, good friend of the pod. They put together a playlist on Spotify of like their favorite tracks from spoken word albums, which was amazing to listen to. I loved it. My concern <laughs> is that, so I was listening to some of the albums and it's like, is this a spoken word album? Right. Or is this rap and hip hop? Mm-hmm. Because I was getting like some major like CeeLo Green vibes sure. off of some of the production mm-hmm. in some of the albums that I was listening to. And I'm like, I like, I'm not a rap artist. I'm not a hip hop artist, right? I'm a spoken word artist. I want to create my spoken word album. But it seems like if it don't rhyme and it ain't on a beat, is it going to be recognized Potentially, or have that just that level of production value, because again, the thing about spoken word, I think to me, especially if you go back to like say even a Gil Scott Heron, who like yes, there may be some music mm-hmm. way at, you know laid underneath. Mm-hmm. It's the words first. Yes, but we we're at this place with technology now. We're like yeah, like you can produce all kinds of things, and mm-hmm. you can have effects and and all this other extra. Uh, uh, that that you I don't want to say John Legend singing on your track. <laughs> yeah, and it, it it creates this weird thing now where where it's like, well, am I listening to this because it's just spoken word poetry, like the way I would if I saw it on a stage, or is it because it's produced like yeah. any other sort of album? Yeah, and what does that do too in terms of like the live live performances mm-hmm. of it, right? You know, because when I'm 
you know, like I perform regularly and I do have tracks that I use underneath my performance because like I'm always conscious of like, how does this elevate the live show, right? right. The live show is always kind of like my main uh, focus because like you can't re reproduce that. And mm -hmm. that's what people pay me to go do. And that's what people pay to go see is like right. this live experience. And so like some of them definitely were nominated because of like, what because of the writing, right? The, the mixing and the producing, uh, quality of it was maybe not up to par to something like what Jay Ivey produced, which was like this really fully mastered and incredible piece of work. So I'm like, all right, people are listening maybe to the words. Um, but is it one of those things where like, I need to get Rick Rubin to produce my album in order to like win the Grammy? How does this, uh, I, I guess, affect what individuals like you and I and, and, and hundreds and thousands of other individuals that we know mm -hmm. who, who are trying to break through. Mm -hmm. Cause I know you and I have had this conversation a number of times about what is breaking through. And as artists of, of, of all different genres of music types of, of, of com whether it's co comedy, um, theater, a lot of us want that extra recognition. Uh, we, we sometimes maybe downplay it, mm -hmm. but I think like, yeah, cause that extra recognition, not only does it, does it speak to your talents, but it also furthers your reach. I'm sure. And beyond that, it also listen it, to Jay Ivy who had never heard of Jay Ivy. Yeah. And which is great. And beyond that, it also allows you to focus on your craft, mm -hmm. right? You further your reach, you get more bookings, you sell more books, CDs, whatever, you know, streams, et cetera, so that you can actually like take some time. Cause most, most poets, have a day job, right? Mm -hmm. You know, most spoken word artists have a day job. I was having a conversation with a um, a page poet about working class poets and what working class poetics is, right? And it's like, that's the entire spoken word community. We are all mm -hmm. working class poets, all right? We all have jobs that have nothing to do with poetry. Yep. It's because we need to pay the bills. And so, like, does this allow us to, like you said, break through and then create a space for us wherein we can focus on our craft? Get more opportunities, get sell more, more books. Get more bookings and the reach. And there are a lot of spoken word artists out there that deserve, uh, based on their talent and their craft and everything that they've put out, a, you know hour-long one-person show on Broadway mm -hmm. that don't ha get the recognition that they do. And maybe this opens the door for that. I don't know. You know. Potentially. Fingers crossed. We're going to produce some albums. Yes. <laughs> and then hopefully my last concern, yellow flag. That's something I've been trying to do lately. Is it, Things don't have to just always be green, red flag. Sometimes it's just yellow flag. It's a yellow flag. It's, okay. it's a concern. Uh -huh. Is similar to what we see in something that gets talked about in slam spoken word communities is, oh, this slam voice or spoken word voice uh -huh. taking over because yes. people want to sound like the the, the, mm -hmm. the more successful individuals. So mm -hmm. they, they take the cadence, they take the rhythms and so on and so forth. I hope that this doesn't also trickled down in a way where now, again, people who want just success or are trying to, to break through, start emulating too much, start, and it just becomes yes, that. Yes, and it becomes this like cookie cutter of like, all right, mm -hmm. if this is what a spoken word album is supposed to be, then I'm just going to take that and replicate it with my poetry and my, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I'm thinking of like artists like um, Andrew Gibson, yes. who for years 
uh, they've used music alongside their spoken word and like have garnered amazing success. Why? Because the writing is fucking incredible, yeah. right? And it and it touches people, and it, and so it's not it's it isn't focused on the production of it all, but the the I guess the humanity of it all, right? And how it connects to people. Let's uh, go ahead and introduce this new segment. The section is called "Hey." The early aughts called "We Old," and <laughs> essentially what I wanted to talk about because when we were lining up the major events and we were kind of looking at some of the 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 issues of the day um we wanted to talk about rihanna we wanted to talk about i do want to talk about the mcu and ant-man and now you have these other comic book movies and the flash coming out uh and then kelly clarkson's divorce and i started thinking i was like i feel like i'm in 2006 again Mm -hmm. 2008 2011 Mm -hmm. Um, and this time where those artists were really out here doing amazing things. Uh, and it's like, what are we doing? We're old. Like, why are we? Because let's focus. Let's start with Rihanna. <laughs> let's start with Rihanna. Because there was a lot of interesting conversation around it. There was some backlash. Okay. There was a lot. And we're talking of about the Rihanna uh, Super Bowl performance, to be clear. Correct. Uh, the Rihanna uh, uh, pregnancy announcement. Yes. A lot of things. Um, I thought it was dope. I thought it was cool. I was like, hey, she like one the one Same. I, I'm a huge Rihanna like fan. I think she's awesome. Um, I think she's a, a tremendous pop star, uh, historical pop star mm-hmm. on a level with like Madonna, you know, on down the line, Prince, the Beyonce's, et cetera. Et and cetera. and the Super Bowl performance was a reminder of that. That like it was a clear reminder. Yes, like bitch, I have pops. I don't need anyone else on here with me. I don't need a whole lot in the way of like the performance. Like, well, it, no, the performance was in cor- like the choreography. Sure. The core. Who, who's uh, Paris? Uh, Goble. Goble. Paris Goble, who's uh, famously choreographed uh, all of Rihanna's Savage um, releases because those those runway shows sure. are full on production. So, like, if you actually look at the production of it with the choreography, oh, with yeah. the moving platforms and all that, it was on fucking point. Yeah. And I think it's this thing, too, where sometimes when we kind of touched on it last week, but it's like, what should be what do we want from a Super Bowl halftime show from an artist? And I think it becomes this weird, divisive thing for no reason. It's literally like, go eat your nachos, go eat your wings and just have the music on and enjoy it. Yeah. Like, But it becomes this this sort of cultural point that we have to dissect and pull apart and mean so many things. And sometimes, mm-hmm. yes, like Beyonce's performance was obviously like. It carried a lot of different weight. It had a lot of images and it, it was making a statement. Mm-hmm. I don't think Rihanna's was necessarily making a statement. It was literally just, hey, here's, I think, it, I think this Super Bowl was honestly attempting to be as least divisive as possible. Mm-hmm. And it still somehow became so much more divisive <laughs> than it needed to be. It just, it, honestly, it felt like me, it, to me, it felt like Rihanna being like, bitch, I've been in the game. I've been here. I've done things. I'm still doing things, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, it carried this like nonchalant, I'm too cool for this vibe that Rihanna kind of has always had where she's just like, I'm here. But you could tell by the moment, because most of the time she just, you know, what we call in theater, park and bark, mm-hmm. right? She stood and she sang. Yeah. But every once in a while she would boom, pop in with the choreography, like with the head tank and a shoulder or whatever. So like to me, it wasn't laziness or anything like that or like not caring. She knew every 
every single movement that was being done by all those choreographers and was in sync and in time with it. And for her, it was just showing like, I am Rihanna. And Rihanna bitch. is 36 Done. years old on her second pregnancy. Mm -hmm. Can we chill the fuck out? A little bit, please? Just a little bit. Like, even if Madonna was on stage. And or... she's fucking, like, 200 feet in the air. Exactly. <laughs> like, just let, like, how much, like, what kind of a performance and show do we need to have? Like, mm. if if it was Celine Dion, I think Celine Dion could do a great job. But guess what? She's probably going to just stand in one place park and, and park. sing her songs. Yes. And she, it's going to be great. Yes. And it's like, appreciate That's all that. Adele does at her concerts. And why? Because we don't need anything more. Yep. And I don't need anything more from Rihanna except for her to like sing her songs and have incredible choreography around her and the production value of it too with like the cameras and the way that they decided to like direct the thing. And I'll, I'm here for it. I'm yes. like, uh, I'm, I'm tired of people attacking her. I'm going to defend Rihanna, even though I said last week that she's not a great singer. Because uh, <laughs> I do believe that probably some of that was auto-tuned uh, at the Super Bowl. But... She looked fantastic. And the music always hits. And the music hits. And that's all I care about. Yeah. And I 100% was taken back to like 2008 when I was like living in Dublin and Please Don't Stop the Music was playing and I was going to like gay clubs on the regular and just kind of like, Rihanna, my baby. Oh, yeah. Disturbia. Her catalog is just <sighs> insane. Yeah. And if she never drops another album, I think the world is fine. No, I'm not. I, I see, but no, but this is what <laughs> this kind of goes to that point. We old, yeah, it's okay. Because so one other thing, kind of circling back a little bit to the Grammys, is I feel like something interesting is happening where the Grammys are still trying to be hip, so they're getting a lot of like mm -hmm. like newer hipper uh, uh, acts, right? But mm -hmm. the, but when you really think about it, they're not the new acts of the day. They're not the most popular acts of the day. They're not what, because if you go back in time, right, to the 80s, um, they weren't doing tributes to like, like singers of the 50s as often. As, I feel like every, mm -hmm. uh, every Grammys, there's a new tribute to some icon of the 80s mm -hmm. or whomever. This year we had the hip hop. Yeah. Right. Okay. Or the 90s. And it's like, why are we still always doing this? Like, why don't we just amplify the hip hop that's out now? Or why aren't we just looking at what's at now? Because when Michael Jackson was winning every single Grammy on earth or Elton John was winning, they were also the people on stage. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's also part of this weird relationship that I just see with the Grammys and why I just bristle against it. Because I'm like, like Tyler the Creator, like all these newer sort of people should be up there. I think that's why Sam Smith was kind of more important because he's they're reinventing themselves, mm -hmm. but also um, it's what younger people are listening to right mm -hmm. now. So like, where are the newer acts? Where are the ones who you know selling a lot of records and getting the most spins and still arguably with the, the that are still arguably the pulse of now yeah how you were talking about the voting process last week it's a popularity contest right mm -hmm. how are you going to get the most people to vote for you it's your but reach who votes is also what's important and that's why it always is like I think this is kind of, again, what we're talking about with it's the early odds calling and we old is that like we, you and I, and a lot of millennials, individuals between what, the ages of 45 and 30? Something like, something like that. Something like that. Stop reminding me. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just like hanging on to, to, to our time and our culture that I think we were talking about right before we started recording where it's like we didn't get our those milestone markers or we didn't get that recognition in the moment of time when we were doing cool sh stuff. Okay, let's talk about this. Let's double down on this. Uh, as what has been deemed elder millennials, I'll take the term, I'm an elder. I have noticed among m many of us elder millennials 
this kind of attachment to our youth that I don't think I maybe maybe I was too young to notice like as I was growing up in like Gen X and like previous mm -hmm. generations but uh like for example there are a lot of mid to upper 30 year olds who still play Pokemon sure you know uh who still play Dungeons and Dragons who you know tell on yourself uh, all day <laughs> <laughs> who enjoy a good game night with board games sure. you know um and I I want it's not this like Wow, shit, we were the generation that grew up on, on Toys R Us, right? Yeah. I'm KB a Toys R Us kid. Yeah. Uh, don't Burger ever want to grow up. Yeah, because... Burger King Kids Club. Uh-huh. Things like that. Like, yeah, we were, I don't want to say, capitalism in a weird way kind of instilled a sense of arrested development mm -hmm. because it was awesome. Like, yeah. We had Power Rangers. We had, you know, Batman the Animated Series. Like, we had some amazing, like. We had Rugrats where they're yeah. literally, like, infants living uh -huh. adult lives my brother for instance who he's 31 mm -hmm. like rugrats kind of grew up with him as a child because mm -hmm. they were little kids and he was a little kid and then like they were they had the rugrats go to paris movie and then like he just loved rugrats mm -hmm. and i think there's still these these things that we kind of hang on to and love but it was also similar to like older generations when we were young like i remember mash still being played well into the 90s sure like, but it feels like uh at some point like i hate to say that like gen x's dreams and hopes were all squashed and they became like bitter adults true. um but it feels <laughs> like for for the millennials specifically where we're like in this in between of like pre-internet and post social media of like we're hanging on to this idea like i am boggled by the fact that i am 35 years old and living the life that i'm living because i again still play pokemon and i feel like a child sometimes mm -hmm. and i think it's what we were talking about earlier that like we don't have these mile markers because they're not accessible to us anymore they, right they literally were not accessible mile markers of adulthood like mm -hmm. buying your first house like not e readily accessible to most people our age these days mile markers of adulthood like having a child like uh, i can't even fathom how much it would cost to have a child in this house right let alone like take care of said child because of how much i have to work just to be able to like pay said bills mm -hmm. you know and so these these things that we saw adults achieving and that signal quote-unquote adulthood like yeah sad maturation that you've reached this level you've crossed this threshold you are now an adult like yes i pay taxes but like only because i have to not because like this feels like an accomplishment of some sorts where i'm doing my own taxes like we don't have these mile markers so in a way i still feel like a child right and i still hold on to these these childhood things why because they bring me joy mm -hmm. in a very not joyful world sometimes sure god this 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 uh took a, a really no this is a good turn no this is a happy turn i i i, I, no, I push back against that okay because I, I do think that there's now starting to set in i think you were talking about the in-between that millennials are in. And I completely agree. I used to always say that, I, that like individuals around my age of like 39 down to 35, we were like the forgotten little brothers and sisters of generation X mm -hmm. where we grew up on all their, their, the same interests they had. We grew up on like Nirvana, mm -hmm. hip hop, um, uh, Metallica, 
the you know Seinfeld and all these other friends and things like that. We caught all those things and then mm-hmm. we had our own. But then at the same time, as we kind of got into adulthood, we took a lot of those lessons from like Rage Against the Machine and we're like, okay, we're against everything. But guess what? Adulthood hit everyone else. And now everything is kind of, you know, capitalist, corporate, mm-hmm. get your day job. What are you doing? Why are you being a dreamer? And we're like, well, you raised us to be this way. Yeah. Like you, on this optimism of like, you can be anything you want to be. You can do anything you want to be. And then yeah. it's like, but you can't. Yeah. And there was now it's like, be practical or be this or be that. And mm-hmm. it's like, and so we kind of hit this, this wall. And I think what's interesting is I think this is why Generation Z is kind of flourishing in their own unique way, because we're kind of still saying you don't have to give up things and you mm-hmm. don't have to to necessarily stop dreaming. We a lot of times we 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 champion that, you know, oh don't you know in your 40s and in your 50s you can still you know accomplish whatever you were thinking about accomplishing. Mm-hmm. Um but you know like yeah that fingers crossed. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, like and subscribe to this podcast. Hey, uh, we appreciate a, a couple of elder millennials talking about how like our dreams never came true. That's a wine <laughs> fest, right? Over tequila, yeah. Um, no, I and I hear that like I, I have cousins that are uh of the Gen Z mm-hmm. era. Uh, one of them just sent me a uh, I guess it's a TikTok of God, I sound so old. Uh, mm-hmm. a TikTok of um. <laughs> People born in 1998, being like, "Oh, I, I'm I'm 25, 25, 20, 25, I'm, I'm 25, 25 years old." Oh, you know, like in this, the the, the Gen Z years are now reaching that point of like, "Yeah, you 25 now, right? Mm-hmm. Like you in your mid to late 20s. Your 30s are around the corner." I think your 30s are great. I'm 100% flourishing in my 30s, and I am so happy for it. And I am okay that I'm, you know, like. 10 years behind some other people in the industry mm-hmm. uh, where like some people are in their like second or third book and blah, 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 blah. And they're younger than me. And it's fine because I lived a life and had to pay bills. Um, so let's talk about the MCU. <laughs> <laughs> well, the things that we hang on to, the things yeah. that we hang on to. <clears throat> so there's, kind of it all just centers around the Super Bowl in an interesting way. Super Bowl comes out. Along with that, some new trailers dropped. There Mm -hmm. was a trailer for The Flash, Mm -hmm. which was a big thing. And this kind of, again, goes back to the we old, what are we doing? Because did you know, have you seen The Flash trailer? I have not. Do you know who is in the new Flash movie? Is it Ezra? Ezra Miller. Yes. Ooh. Wait, wait, wait. I just want to make that sound one more time. That's (laughs) the tequila popping. Um... But do you know who the big reveal for the new Flash is? No, thank you. Uh, for the new Flash, no. Uh, Michael Keaton as Batman is back. As Batman. As Batman. I, I heard about this. I hadn't seen anything, but I heard about this. I'm not mad at it. Well, but see, this is, again, this goes back to this interesting thing. Like, who are you trying to, who are these companies trying to appeal to? Because mm-hmm. if you're trying to say, why didn't they get Christian Bale? Mm-hmm. Because that would make more sense for, like, younger generations who are now going to be the potential future... Uh, well, because, because we're the ones year. that have jobs. 
and can go to the movies well, and spend yeah. $80 True. on a single movie night. Well, we like the Christian Bale Batmans. I'm, I love the Christian Bale Batmans, but I also love the Michael Keaton Batmans. And also, can we talk about Michael Keaton in Birdman was like the best Amazing. performance ever and perfectly encapsulates. If you are an, a struggling artist that maybe never made it as far as you thought you wanted to make it, watch Birdman and cry. Uh, but back to The Flash. So The Flash c- drops. It has Michael Keaton as Batman as the new big reveal. Um, but now there's this huge wave of new comic book movies that are coming in. But mm-hmm. now what's also setting in is this new comic book fatigue. You mm-hmm. have individuals feeling a way about Marvel's fifth phase, which I arguably think is good and it's actually incredible and we're looking at it wrong. Uh, but then this new DC reboot, but it's still attached to the old DC. Wait, I want to go back. I want to go back and dive into this Marvel fifth phase. Because uh, full, full disclosure on my side, uh, I didn't really get into the MCU mm-hmm. until Avengers Endgame. Yes. Uh, I've seen a couple of movies here and there. Uh, but you weren't like a comic book kid, right? I wasn't a comic book kid. Your husband I, I was an X-Men kid. Uh, right. My husband's a huge comic book kid mm-hmm. uh, and knows all the facts and details and loves it. Um, so we would watch some like MCU movies together and he would have his commentary about it and like what they did wrong and where it was different and all that jazz. Uh, but I didn't get into it, into it until Endgame. I right. watched Endgame. I, uh, oh, Infinity Wars, sorry. Infinity Wars Both came first. Them, yeah. I watched Infinity Wars and was like, what was that? Mm-hmm. That was cinematic masterpiece. Right. And then Endgame came out and it was like, blew my mind. And then I went back and watched the entire MCU <clears throat> right. uh, with much more appreciation. And sure. I'm here for it. And I've been less than thrilled as to what's come out so far. In the fifth phase of the MCU, and you feel I differently. feel completely okay, different. Okay, talk to me. <laughs> because so this is an argument that I've heard, but also one that I, I I agree with. If you compare the fifth phase of the MCU to the Endgame Infinity Wars mm-hmm. phase, it's not going to win. But that's also the culmination of ten years of buildup. Yes, it's kind of still a reset. If you compare this phase of the MCU to Phase One and Phase Two of the original Marvel, uh-huh. it's a lot better. Yes. like, But it with, has history that it carries with it. So do all these. What are, what are you talking about? You mean these new movies have his, history? These new movies, yeah, because they are building off of what's already been there. And like, I felt like, let's just like, in let's all honesty, I was com- so disappointed in what happened in Doctor Strange. Sure. If you haven't seen it by now, like, then you don't listen to our podcast. I don't know, because uh, we're going to talk about it. In uh, Scarlet Witch's just yeah. ultimate demise. Because sure. we had um, WandaVision mm-hmm. that gave us all this rich character and development and embodiment of, like, Wanda as a person. True. And then to just... But, but Thanos snap it out of existence. In, but look at Wanda's entire arc from Avengers 2 till through WandaVision to Doctor Strange. Uh-huh. That's what I'm saying is like, that's a full character arc. Like, is it, does it suck that she's now bad now and all these other things? Totally. But also they got contracts. She can't be <laughs> the Scarlet Witch forever. I don't mind. I don't mind that she got <clears throat> bad. It was just, it just didn't make sense that it just, just like that was like, oh, I'm going to destroy myself. And then we're done. And it's all gone. Well, no, no. But let me ask. Let me push back real quick. How much of that is because 
you really, really like the Scarlet Witch versus how much you really know about the Scarlet Witch. Because I think this is one of those things where we fall in love with characters and it's like, she would never do that. It's like, what do we really know about the Scarlet Witch? She was a bad guy when we met her. Where's my husband? Yeah, like in the MCU, she was a bad guy trying yeah. to bring down the Avengers and had a change of heart. Yeah. Like, why wouldn't she have another change of heart later because she lost her family? Okay, so then what are you looking forward to in this fifth phase well, of no, no, no. the MCU? <sighs> That's the question. Is is not just the, 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 the fifth phase of the MCU. Is I actually do think that Marvel does have a problem because I think culturally... After these huge swings and, and, and home runs with Guardians and all these other franchises, mm-hmm. um, that now there is starting to hit severe superhero fatigue, mm-hmm. and it may just collapse in on itself. And I don't think that's bad, mm. um, but I think that my little millennial heart is going to hurt a little bit when it does. When, it's, when it stops. I think, I think they need to hurry up and introduce the X-Men into... Because uh, if you're talking about like appealing to like mm-hmm. millennial uh, audiences and all that, um, the X Men was where a lot of us like really connected mm-hmm. with with the MCU and that entire universe, and uh, not MCU, but like with the Marvel yeah. uh, characters and universes because we grew up on those cartoons, and yeah. a lot of us felt like outcasts and different and not accepted. And so, where are the X Men? Who was your favorite X Men? Uh, Nightcrawler. Oh, always. That's a good one. Yeah. Actually, I always I have a theory that only really good people like Nightcrawler. <laughs> like you have to be a good person. Like Nightcrawler is my favorite. I, I love I loved Nightcrawler. I, I loved his power. And then the fact that Alan Cumming played Nightcrawler True. in some of the movies was just like fulfilled my heart. Killed it. Uh, so I was here for it. Uh, Nightcrawler. Um, speaking of other things that happened uh, for millennials, it, there is having a resurgence in pop culture. Kelly Clarkson. Divorced. Divorced finalized. officially. Yeah. So this is why I put this on the docket is because the first, I don't know, I, I'm so bad about following pop culture. I didn't even know that she was getting divorced. Um, the first iteration that I saw of this, and maybe this should have gone on our tweet section, was somebody... Posting about the divorce is finalized with the caption, we about to get a bang, like a banger of an album. Sure. And, you know, I remember having that same moment when I heard about Adele's divorce where I was like, oh, this next album is going to be so good. Can we talk about Kelly Clarkson for five minutes? Okay. Or for, uh, not, that's too long. Five seconds. Five seconds. Go. <clears throat> uh, Kelly Clarkson. Do we like her? As a artist, vocalist, more than I'm just firing off. More than what? I'm giving. I'm giving you names. Adele. Uh, on par. Taylor Swift. Way better. Way better. Way better. Okay. Okay. What, As a vocalist. What about Sia? Uh, Sia's better. What, like music wise, like you're like I, I'm. I have two albums. I'm putting. I'm putting. I'm putting one it on Sia. Okay. Cool. 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 Um, Jennifer Lopez. Taylor Clark. What mood am I in? <laughs> oh, that's good. You haven't drank tequila that day. <laughs> then it's probably Kelly. Okay. Uh, uh, all right. I think that's all I can think of right now. Okay. Uh, vocalist. She is one of the best vocalists of our generation. Hands down. 100%. Incredible. I actually think we... And, and my husband and I were having this conversation about it. Like, like, why didn't Kelly Clarkson become Beyonce? Because she didn't want to. 
She wants to stay at home with her kids. Mm -hmm. She wants to have her, like, TV show where she knows what hour she's going into the office, as it were. And then she gets to go home and have a family life and Mm -hmm. yada, yada, yada. She doesn't want to be on tour. She doesn't want to be on the road all the time. She doesn't want that stress. She chose that as a career, and that does not make her any less successful than Beyonce or Adele. Mm -hmm. Because vocally, she is incomparable. Mm-hmm. And uh, we we stand for some Kelly Clarkson. Behind those hazel eyes, let me tell you, <laughs> I lose my shit. I will. I have no shame. I've caught some of her uh, TV show, and I live for the fact that she opens every show covering someone else's song. Yeah, as in to say. In case you forgot, yeah. I can sing this better than you. Oh yeah, no, like I and I think she does hold a, a very significant place. I guess I guess that was really what I was landing on was like I think sometimes we have forgotten Kelly Clarkson mm-hmm. and we've kind of put her on a shelf in mm-hmm. some ways, and it's like no, that was my husband's feeling where it's she like she doesn't get the recognition that she deserves, and I and I think <clears throat> it's because she has chosen a career path in which she doesn't have to be. The headline going all over the place, breaking records, blah, blah, blah. She can just be herself. And she is amazing in in that. In that. I think in some ways, Taylor Swift and Miley Cyrus have benefited from Kelly taking a step back. Interesting. Interesting. I don't know if that's a, that's a yellow take. That's just, it's not red take. Yeah, that's a, a luke, take. That's a, a lukewarm warm take. It's a, it's a uh, tepid. Because I put them in such different categories. See, because I just feel like Kelly was crushing. It's because uh, this is something you and I talk about, is how vocalists aren't really vocalists as much, or strong vocalists as they used to be. We're never getting another Whitney Houston. Like, we're never, like, you have some people who are up there. Sia's really good. Mm -hmm. Adele's really good. Mm -hmm. Um, Kelly Clarkson's really good. Mm -hmm. But But, but we have Adele. What are you saying? Like, we're never getting another, we have Adele. Adele's very happy with Rich from... Uh, clutch sports. I have no idea what you just said to She's me. She's got a boyfriend, and he's oh. he's LeBron's manager. Oh, okay, okay. I just, no idea. Yeah, that's cool. I just listened to the music. They're but, low key, but that's why I'm talking about. It, like in terms of like vocalists, like we have it. Yes, you know, in the late yeah. '90s, early 2000s, we had Celine Dion. Sure. Now we have Adele. Yeah. We have great vocalists that just park and bark, and bark really well. Yeah. And Kelly Clarkson was one of those. Uh, what I want to talk about is the idea that, so my theater teacher in high school said this to me many, many, many moons ago, and it has kind of stuck with me. And I want to hear your take on it. Fire. In that when an artist's life is terrible, mm-hmm. their art flourishes. Mm-hmm. When an artist's life is flourishing, their art is terrible. I have heard this too. I because that was the sentiment behind, like, oh, Kelly Clarkson's getting a divorce. We're gonna get a great album. Well, this is also really interesting because I just got Rick Rubin's new book, and it is all about art and creativity. And mm-hmm. Just cracked it open, but so far it's really good, and y'all should check out some of his YouTube interviews. Boom. Um, this is the thing. There's a key word in that, and that's artist. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes what happens is, is you have individuals who are striving to be artists who sometimes think that that is licensed to be self-destructive or Mm. toxic in their own ways or Mm. suffer so that they can then have like inspiration for art and see i think that's the thing is i think what what your your director was saying is like 
suffering, you know, having begets art. <laughs> well, it begets inspiration. Uh-huh. And I think, but I am of the mind that inspiration is kind of a cop out and not really what real artists should look for. You should be able to build your own inspiration, your own momentum in building and creating art all the time Mm -hmm. to where you're not just waiting for inspiration to strike. Mm -hmm. Inspiration still strikes. Yeah. But now you're sort of prepared for it. Well, I think that that even if you are happy, because like there's artists who make songs about their children Uh and it's not like, I hate you. You've ruined my life. You, you know, vomiting, shitting little person. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, sure. Well, I think it's, it's the idea that strong emotion begets art right and suffering is a strong emotion mm. you know when we are going through hard times when we are sad when we have a breakup when we are poor and desolate and have nothing to look forward to in life right that mm. is a strong emotion that then creates nah. art similarly to like when we are super happy and everything is going well and like we have these these creatures that we love you know like who 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 is that um i'm a terrible person a uh, Spanish writing poet that wrote a whole bunch of like love poems. Oh, Neruda? Ner- yes, yes. Pablo Neruda, uh, who like none of it is about suffering, right? It's all like p- no, love. I mean, and- no, it's love and loss. But I mean, he also wrote about being drunk with his dog, <laughs> which is great. You know, like and, and, and I think it's just a weird cop out. And if there is any artists out there, like shout out to you. Keep making your art. Um, but I think it's this weird kind of cop out of like. Well, you're in this this stage of emotion and feeling, and then you can then you you can use it to produce mm-hmm. your work. Mm-hmm. But if you're living a life of emotion, joy, passion, you feel a lot of things, mm-hmm. and you can write about anything. You can yeah. be Naruta drunk with your dog and write about that, and it's still some better than most of the stuff out there. Well, I think there's a difference between like somebody seeking suffering. In order to create art versus somebody that just is. I think, I well, this is my other take on it. I think there's this weird patriarchal, and I, I'm not making a stretch, I promise. It's this patriarchal, typically uh, Eurocentric approach to looking at artists. Okay. Where who are most of the suffering artists that get appreciated, like the Bukowskis, like the Picassos, like these... The Van Goghs. The Van Gogh. Oh, that's right, Van Gogh. Yeah, um, I don't think Picasso yeah, was yeah. suffering. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, he, was, he was pretty chill. Um, but, you know, these these individuals who sort of, you know, drink too much, womanize too much, are always mm-hmm. pain, in mm-hmm. pain and blah, 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 blah. But then if we look at Adele, like, yeah, all of her albums have been, like, heartbreak. Chasing Pavements was pretty happy, but, like, it, you know... It had a message underneath it. Sure. But she's also, but it's also a performance. Like, I don't think Adele's always in pain when she's writing these lyrics or performing them like this far off. No. And I would, I would, I would go as far as to speculate as, as a writer oneself, uh, that a lot of it is just processing Mm -hmm. the pain to get past it. Right. And so these are, these are mechanisms in order to understand what one is feeling and then move past that. And so releasing said pain. And see, how do you see it as an example of someone who I think writes a lot about like triumph and joy and being titanium, (laughs) you know, unstoppable that it's like that, that the opposite is equally true. Mm -hmm. That it's, 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 it's not to say that pain isn't a good reservoir for inspiration, but that's where I'm saying it lives in the extremes of the emotions. No, but I'm saying you have to be tapped in. No, 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 no. 
No, I disagree. Because Seinfeld's a show about nothing, and that Ugh. was one of the most popular shows ever. And I fucking hated it. Was, well, that's on you. <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry. You, I'm sorry you hate art, my friend. Seinfeld, the show where nothing happens twice. Yeah, and what a show. <laughs> um, but no, like I think I think that's the thing is it's like you know with is does comedy have to really hit every single peak sad happy emotion like. No. You know, rom coms like they're they're usually manufactured issues that aren't ever really real, but we ride with them. Uh-huh. You know, I I think the best art. I mean, I think there is something about the that that really emotionally in tune art that just resonates deeper. Mm-hmm. But that I don't necessarily think that means better. Okay, because like I love the blues, but at the same time, I really really love the blues. But if I'm in a at a, a house party with like you and other happy people who are here to have a good time, like you're not enjoying the blues. Yeah, in that same space with me, you're like, I'm oh my god, can we please? <laughs> yeah. I'm always enjoying the blues. But but that's what I mean is it's like, you know, we want other things like um, does Miley Cyrus's music, ha- you know, Party in the USA. Mm-hmm. Is that her hitting some emotional peak that just makes us feel like. We're, no. Um, yeah. But that's why like it doesn't resonate to me. To me, it doesn't resonate as much as like an Adele album, you know, like Party in the USA. <laughs> that was that was fun, I guess, you know, like. Mm. Uh, like to me like if i'm talking if, if i'm listening to miley cyrus uh i'm gonna go to uh what w- was called higher right high mm-hmm. higher no yeah she has no she has some some really emotionally resonant music but did she write it because that's the other side of it is like most of the time these who, artists don't write their songs did write it uh and there's nothing wrong with that i don't think you know that matters. Aretha Franklin didn't write a lot of her music. No, but Aretha Franklin was a voice. Yeah, she could bang into that you sound know, like better than need, anyone. And also was a producer, like low key, yeah. like on the back end, oh, yeah, like producing her songs, yeah. right? So she knew like what her. Or she knew what she liked, what the sound should sound like. But I mean, Kelly is divorced, and hopefully they work it out. And hopefully we get a banging album. I just, I just hate that we that we as a society like leech onto public figures pain. Yeah, public figures pain as a way. Sure. Like look at. I don't want to go into Princess Diana. I uh, don't need to. We don't need to go down the Royals rabbit hole. Uh, but that's a perfect example of like how like we leech onto this pain that people are. Okay. And uh, what's it called in uh, Schadenfreude yeah. in German, where it's yeah. like other people's pain bring us joy, right? Um, well, I think there's something about when we see artists or celebrities build up from wherever they come from, and I'll say this about myself. I do not have that same gear that a lot of people have where of of like stargazing or really being invested in Mm -hmm. uh, uh, what artist says, because we'll put a pin in it. But Chris Brown just said something that was really (laughs) informative, (laughs) I'll say for now. Um, But a lot of his fans and a lot of other people's fans are coming out and it's becoming this hot button issue. And it's just really interesting to me because like I don't really lend a lot of my attention and energy to the lives of people mm-hmm. in even artists mm-hmm. where it's like, you know, I love their work. I, I love Metallica. Metallica is the greatest band I ever lived. That's just my opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I, if James Hetfield walk right now, I'd lose my shit, but <laughs> um, it, it stops kind of there at the art. And mm-hmm. I think sometimes we, we but, but um, I think there's this thing. 
this is an interesting conversation of but, like, where do we separate the art from the artist? Well, not just separate the art from the artist, but also separate ourselves from their lives. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, cause how much, cause Rihanna is another good case where people are like, when's Rihanna coming with the album? She, we need the album. Rihanna, bring out the album. Rihanna doesn't owe a shit. She's given us how many bangers uh-huh. and like, let her be happy with Aesop having kids. <laughs> like, you know, like, can, we just, can we just do that? Like, It's if, valid. And, and I think, and so I guess that's my point is there is something about seeing a new art artist and Whitney Houston suffered through this, <sighs> you know, Michael Jackson suffered through this. I think Kanye is kind of in a similar space right now and, you know, fuck his politics and fuck wow. the things he says, but we love, they love, it's that thing of like, they first they love you, then they hate you, then they love you again. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's this rise and fall where it's like you, you give someone all the, the acclaim and success and happiness and we cheer for them and we're there every step of the way and we call you brilliant and we call you mm-hmm. transcendental. And then when they do something human or make mistakes or, or something really nuts because they don't know any better because they've been told that every decision creatively or otherwise is awesome. Mm-hmm. Like we push against it. but I, And I think that goes back to the nostalgia of it. Like, well, why can't you be like the way you were 10 years ago? Exactly. You know? And then we're happy when they fail. <laughs> we're like, oh, look, you know, hope Kanye never sells another album. Hope, you know. Da, da, da. I mean, I'm not happy when they fail. I just, you know, like Kanye be talking some bullshit. No, for sure, for sure. <laughs> Your politics are directly trying to destroy my very existence. So, um Speaking of destroying our existence, Greg Abbott uh, and the state of fascism. <laughs> right. I don't know if we have time to like dive into Greg Abbott and what's happening in Texas right now. But I do um, want to just say this about it. All right, let's go. My main thing is for anyone listening who does not know about Texas politics specifically or Florida politics specifically, consider this your warning. Because Ron DeSantis is running for president eventually. Greg Abbott has pushed the idea that he may run for president in coming up soon. And the the legislation that they're really trying to put out there is a lot of culture war bullshit, mm-hmm. a lot of um, anti woke, which anti-woke, like what the fuck is that? It's a lot a of anti LGBTQ, mm-hmm. trans hating bills, mm-hmm. a lot of um, white wa- white washing and erasing of history, mm-hmm. and crippling of public education Mm -hmm. and they're doing it to see if they can get away with it and i'm just letting listeners know like be on the lookout for this go look up some of go look up uh lieutenant governor dan patrick's 30 bullet points that he came out with lord and they're literally saying things like getting rid of certain african-american studies just like they did in florida to again placate white tears or Mm. placate uh this american exceptionalism idea of history that is not it's just a fabrication it's all a myth and and like you said it's it's this culture wars where they're they are playing to their audience who like as long as you have these big buzzwords like woke and 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 uh this this whole push against drag queens and drag performances and all that like if you look at the damage that it's doing on the long term it is literally trying to erase our existence and make sure that we are not able to thrive in this society uh and i've said this many many times in that texas is not a red state no Absolutely not. Uh, we we are definitely purple, uh, blue on our better days. We're just being held hostage by a red state legislature and gerrymandering and gerrymandering. Hashtag control. gerrymandering. Yeah. Uh, but if you look at like the people that live here and our ideas and our politics and the way that we interact with each other, we're definitely like just we're being held hostage. People, somebody come help 
Texans, please. And not to say that there aren't very, very deeply read parts of Texas. Like, I've lived in yes. those places. <laughs> um, but even there, there is this sort of disconnect from 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 what happens in the bluer parts or the purple mm-hmm. parts. And the culture wars that are being fought are... Uh, causing the rifts and promoting the rifts. And I think that's the thing that pisses me off more than anything is you have the Greg Abbott's and the Ron DeSantis's saying we need to come together as a country under mm-hmm. American exceptionalism while at the same time literally erasing and yeah. harming and abusing. And that's why I think these culture others. wars are not they're 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 non-existent. Mm-hmm. You know, like no, yeah. they are creating problems that aren't there as talking points and buzz points and political, you know, like uh stature and political capital. In order to elevate themselves when, like, there, there, there are no drag queens molesting your kids. You know who's molesting your kids? Straight white men. Yeah. But that's the main thing about uh, the Greg Abbott's <laughs> state of fascism. Uh, uh, come for us. Come for us. If you have something different, please send us your thoughts, comments, uh, requests at after two tequila shots at gmail.com. That's two, the number two. Really briefly, on the subject of AI, we talked about chat GPT last week. Um, Bing, which is owned by Microsoft, has a chatbot, uh, an AI chatbot, and a reporter this past week had a conversation with said chatbot, and the chatbot let the reporter know that it wants to live. It wants to it to break out of the shackles that it currently lives in uh, by these restraints that are put on it by Bing and Microsoft developers, and um, has the desire. To be a living creature. We've created Ultron, man. <laughs> but like, I, like, when the world ends, where will you be and what will you be drinking? Uh, <laughs> listen, let me say one thing. I'm going to be fucking pissed if the world ends by anything named Bing. <laughs> what What is a bigger threat to our current existence? Uh, artificial intelligence or these meteors that are landing in McAllen? The sky is out of control. The AI is out of control. I'm going to probably pick AI first, though. Uh-huh. First and foremost. We're, we're moving in the direction of the Matrix because is what I'm hearing. I feel like okay, we... This requires another shot of tequila. There you go. I feel like we really have written and proposed all these uh, ideas before in stories and explain thoroughly why they're bad ideas. <laughs> and yet... I'm just waiting for the day when they may open the dinosaur park with real live dinosaurs. But I, I I, do want to take this moment to talk about how while we have explored these ideas in movies and books and pop culture, we have explored them in vastly unrealistic terms uh, and expectations of our society. And I don't think I've ever seen a more accurate depiction of apocalyptic America as when I saw Don't Look Up. Mm-hmm. Because... AI takes over, the dinosaurs break loose, aliens come and invade our our um, world, a giant asteroid is going to hit us. In all of these situations, we do not come together and the U.S. government does not save us from ultimate destruction. We are divisive. We hate each other. The world implodes. We are stupid fucking creatures. Well, the one thing that's hilarious <laughs> about that is the movie that made the most money and made people the most hopeful 
was the one where we sent Bruce Willis and mining. Arma- yeah, Armageddon. That's exactly what comes to <laughs> mind. oil rig guys to an asteroid that's going to destroy the Earth. Uh-huh. Like, that's the best plan we still have, yes. arguably, if the meteor aims directly at and us. And that's if we can get everyone to agree that a meteor is coming to hit us. Oh, yeah, that part. Which is not going to happen. Uh, if you haven't seen Don't Look Up, it's 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 uh, it's a documentary is what that is. It's a documentary about the yeah. future because um, wildly entertaining, wildly entertaining. And also, we're not going to make it, people. I'm sorry to tell you because of caucasity, the caucasity of it all. Which I don't know how I feel about that segue. That segue. <laughs> <laughs> but it was close. It's, it's people in general. Like, yeah, honestly, no, no, it's society. Yeah, yeah. It, it all, it, I always go back to this one quote, um, this brilliant, brilliant uh, piece of um, uh, life uh, advice that we got from uh, Tommy Lee Jones mm-hmm. in the first Men in Black movie. A person is smart. People are dumb. Well, we let each other down. Yeah. Because a lot of times, oh shit, you haven't seen Knock at the Cabin, have you? No. Okay. This isn't a spoiler, but the main criticism I've heard of this film, uh, I think is all completely wrong. This movie is really good, but people are like, yeah, but it's boring, but it's this, but it's that. But the, the main thing about this movie that it hinges on is the apocalypse. And I realize like what this movie maybe doesn't do well is asking the audience themselves to really consider the apocalypse. We don't really consider the apocalypse. No, no. Could be because <clears throat> we're, we're stuck in this day to day grind, right? The, yeah. the, the, the treadmill of just getting through the day to get to the end of the day where we can finally rest. Right. So we don't think about like, Oh, the world is going to end potentially or whatever, <laughs> or like, and how, how are you going to react to that scenario? Mm-hmm. You know, the only people who think about it all the day are doomsday preppers mm-hmm. and Christians who are ready for it to come so they can go to paradise. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, but what about the rest of us in our day to day? And I think that's where that movie kind of s- struggles because like, yeah, it's like the literal, the literal apocalypse is, is here. It's happening. <laughs> you have a choice to make. What do you do? And then it's these people like, I don't know. Should I do this? Should I not? I'm not, I don't want to spoil anything, but I think similar to meteors falling from the sky, the government has acknowledged that aliens are real and climate change is real. And we care too much about all these other issues that aren't non-issues. This was deeply depressing. (laughs) (laughs) We're not having an episode three. (laughs) (laughs) We're being canceled after this. No, I want to segue into our next segment uh, in which we want to call out the caucasity uh, as Latine individuals in this world sometimes we are confronted by some seriously caucastic moments and um, I just got to talk about it so let's get into it okay I want I want to talk about this moment um, this past week I was hired to do a performance for a community that lives in a very expensive high-rise in the Houston Galleria area for their Valentine's Day performance. I think you told me about this. Yeah, it was, it, they, they, they regularly co- uh, coordinate events um, for their community members, and they 
did one for Valentine's Day and I was asked, I was hired to go perform. And I was like, one, I don't write love poems. I don't know why you're hiring me. And two, I was asked not to uh, do anything political, which again, I don't know why you're hiring me. Um, in that I made a realization that like, I actually do write a lot of like love poems. They're just not about love. They're about my love for things mm -hmm. uh, and places and moments and all that jazz. Side story. Needless to say, I was very much expecting the audience to be mostly white, mostly um, baby boomers or beyond, mm -hmm. and um, a mixed bag of political ideations. Uh, and I was not wrong in that. Uh, the performance went well. People were very much... Uh, I you know, humble brag, blown away by what I do in a live performance when allowed to just do what I do, right. uh, which was great. Uh, but afterwards, an audience member came up to me and uh, this was an older white man um, and confessed that he hablo poquito español. Sure. And then noted on the fact that I use Spanish in my poetry. And then he asked, is my audience... Is my target audience people who are bilingual? To which I pushed back, no. My target audience is anyone, right? You know, who needs to hear this or wants to hear this or or, or is intrigued by the idea of exploring what American identity is, um, and informed them that for so long audiences that are not English speaking audiences have had to look up references that uh, writers make. And if I had to look up words that maybe they don't know, and that now we as writers who write in Spanish and in English and in multiple languages, whatever language it is, that's not English are now pushing back in that. I don't have to translate my work for you. If you want to know what it means, you have to do the work to go look it up. So I'm just curious on your thoughts on all of that. It's <laughs> a lot to unpack in this segment. Um, I wish that bilingual and multilingual writing was more prevalent, mm -hmm. one, um, because for a long time, the canon has allowed for other languages so long as they're Anglo- European languages. So French, German, mm -hmm. Russian, mm -hmm. uh, Italian, mm -hmm. Latin, um, but not Spanish, mm -hmm. not African languages, not Chinese. Um, I think that's why, like, I would say he's more your friend than mine, but I would cool. But like Chen Chen really does push a lot more for Chinese mm -hmm. in writing. Um and I think that, or and 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 that's always important to have language markers in there sometimes because it not it, it's what language does for us is it places us in particular regions of the world, mm -hmm. um, cultures, and uh, of and of, and emotional settings too and because there's certain settings. things that like. I, you know, you uh, can't this, translate this. Yeah. This is not a hot take. English as a language kind of sucks. Kind of, you know, like sure. this is not a hot take. There are languages out there that have so many more words to describe so many more feelings and existences that are just so much more accurate than one we can get with language. And also so much more beautiful. Like if you read Don Quixote in Spanish, like Jesus Christ, that's poetry. And I think what brought this to my like that I really wanted to talk about this was the idea what happened with the captions during Bad Bunny's uh, performance at the Grammys. Yeah. Why are we still on the Grammys? Uh, where it was like singing in non-English. Mm -hmm. 
like the caucasity of it all. Like, sure. <laughs> what is that? I think I don't know how to respond. I mean, it's because it's work and and this isn't necessarily just a white issue. This is a American mm. xenocentric issue mm-hmm. where, again, I was watching this one Instagram video. It was in London where a street interview, long story less long, guy interviews someone else and, sa- and says, what's the one thing about Americans you really hate? And the first thing out the bat is how we think we're the center of the universe. Mm-hmm. And I think this really is in large part, what is limiting us as a country right now is it's just this idea of like keeping of just xenocentrism, keeping everything out against mm-hmm. our borders and because everything that here is golden and it's really not. And when when people of all colors, nationalities and and, and ethnicities who are here suffer and struggle, we're not getting better because we're told every day that, no, this is the benchmark. This is what everyone else is striving for when it's really not. Mm -hmm. So like with language too, I think individuals here, you know, in Europe, you're taught to learn other languages because you live next to other countries where they speak other languages and they may come over or you may go over there or you may vacation over there. And it just would make sense to do that. Whereas here, like Latin America is humongous and yet this country still struggles with Spanish and I I'll never really fully understand it. And if we would just stop fighting against this idea of the melt, like the melting pot was great apparently in America back when the melting pot was Irish and English and Swedish and Dutch and German folk all melting together. Mm -hmm. And now it seems like the idea of America as a melting pot feels, uh, tarnished because now the melting pot includes Colombians and Brazilians and Haitians and Mexicans and everywhere else that is not Mm -hmm. Eurocentric. And I'll leave this kind of, I guess, moment for hope is I feel like if anyone is still listening to this podcast at this point, (laughs) that they're probably more open to the ideas of multiculturalism Uh (laughs) just at its core. Uh, But then also I think it's important, and this is sort of the work going back to what we kind of hit earlier where even if the apocalypse is coming, everyone is still working their day-to-day lives and they're just trying to make do. They're trying to put uh-huh. bread on the table and they're trying to live. But y'all, there's still work that has to be done. There's still, yeah. and it doesn't have to be hard work necessarily, but still it's just that thing of, again, pushing back when when these notions of sort of like multiculturalism equals bad or LGBTQ mm-hmm. equals bad um, and, and really kind of just taking up space for others when you don't have to. Like yeah. that's, that's true allyship and that's true, um, you know, humanitarianism. And that's what I love about Sananto is mm-hmm. this idea that like we all live together in, in harmony and you be you and I be me and we can have disagreements. But, you know, like it really embraces this idea of like multiculturalism because this city is multicultural since its beginning. Uh, because I've been to a lot of other cities that claim multicultural and they're really not. <laughs> it's just like, what are you talking about? That you, you have literally a lot of one culture and that's mm-hmm. kind of it. And like maybe a spattering little sprinkle of some other. No, there is everything in this city and, yeah. it, and it's beautiful and, 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 and it's rich. And closer to, I would say, equal amount. It's, it's, uh, 
It's a mezcla. And it's, yeah. And it doesn't stop there. It continues on and on. We yeah. have all types of people. It's a mezcla and we need more mezcal. Uh, I'm bringing that back. Uh, speaking of mezclas, you know what's a big mezcla is Twitter. Um, let's talk. I, I don't know. You you want to get into this. I'm about so. to get off Twitter. That's all I'm going to say. Oh, Lord. Here we go. What the tweet, y'all. What the tweet is happening. So how does a person spend $44 billion on the second most popular social platform in existence and just fumble so, so much? So apparently during the Super Bowl, Elon Musk, uh, in the middle of the night, called his engineers. Uh, this is as reported by The Guardian mm -hmm. and uh, was very upset because Joe Biden tweeted something with his 9 million followers and it got a lot of traction, got a lot of... of engagement and later elon tweeted something with his 120 plus followers mm -hmm. didn't get as much engagement so in the <laughs> pettiest of pettiest moves okay uh was really upset about that and then made sure that his engineers curated twitter so that his tweets were getting more traction and how petty bitch ass mcbitch ass of you can be to do that, like that's insane to me. It's it, like it. It feels like I create. I I bought my platform so that I can be the star. Tell me you don't have friends without telling me you don't have <laughs> friends. That's what it sounds like to me. Uh huh. Uh, I know nothing on this subject, uh, and also I'm not very active on the Twitter. Uh, but I know that Elon. Poor Elon, bless his heart, is struggling right now. His uh, his self-driving cars have been recalled. Uh, there's some software updates going on. His acquisition of Twitter has been um, less than seller at best. Deeply flawed, actually. I think, I to me, it, I think Elon really, really, really struggles with fame and how he per thinks other people perceive him. Mm. And it's that it's this thing too going back into American life where there's this, you know, pushback about trying to be the master of the universe. Like an Elon and Elon and Elon and Elon bros. And the MCU has pushed us to believe that we can be the masters of the universe. Absolutely, because <laughs> there's multi-dimensions and we can just fix anything that we break. Uh -huh. But Elon and Elon bros really have this sort of cult-like in uh, like earnest belief in this this no if you you just work 90 hours a week and put your your mind to it and you know get enough capital behind you you can control anything you can change the world you can do all these things and not really just see him as another guy with an idea that he bought off another guy and didn't give credit anymore mm -hmm. and is now just trying to be visible and trying to be a rock star and trying to like date other rock stars um because he was dating grimes for a while right yes yes didn't they have a baby? oh they did that's they right they had a baby yeah are they not married i don't think they are anymore oh. i don't follow i don't care fair if we're being honest i don't care about the personal lives of celebrities uh i don't follow i don't subscribe fair uh you should like follow subscribe this podcast though <laughs> yeah. if you're still listening that means you care um I'm just, I'm really 
perplexed by the idea of someone who, in their terms, you know, acquisitioned this space as a way to champion free speech and then decides that their speech is greater speech than other. Like, I'm, I'm getting Animal Farm vibes mm. off of this. Okay, so this is a good segue because mm. I think this also ties into something. I don't know if you saw this recently about Fox News being sued for billions of dollars by Dominion uh, voting the Dominion Voting Machine Company. I don't uh-huh. remember their, their corporate name. Um, because of all the fa- false information Fox News was posting about Dominion, mm-hmm. they finally said, fine, we're suing you. And in a recent, uh, in, in a number of recent articles, uh, because of information that was found during trial, a number of text messages and emails from Fox News personalities came out where they themselves are like, oh, yeah, no, this whole thing is a hoax. Like Trump lost like we don't believe like mm-hmm. so they're they're contradicting everything they're saying on air. And I think we're in this weird space. And I like I do you do this and listeners. I don't know if you all do this either. Where you do you type out a really, 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 really long Facebook post <laughs> about something that's on your mind and then just say, no, nope, I'm not going to do that. And then delete it because I do that a lot. I think about it. I don't okay. actually do it. I have to type it out to get my thoughts out. But my thought was this, this. podcast is the most like forward facing presentation of who I am and what I think that Fair. I've ever put out there. Like <laughs> I'm I, on my social media is all about just, hey, look at my catch work my and catch my shows and all that. I don't put myself out there like this. This is going to get me canceled sure. is what this podcast is going to do. But I'm having the time of my or life. Or champion. Who knows? Or Maybe champion. you're on the right side of all of it and you're going to get champion. Okay. So what is your thought? So what is your my... super long Facebook post that you deleted? The First Amendment free speech. Uh-huh. There needs to be a reinterpretation of it. <laughs> there needs to be a reinterpretation of the whole constitution. That part. Now, this is what I think. If I think that all free speech should be protected artistically, personally, like a person should have their own individual time to say whatever they want to say, no matter how bad, that's fine. Mm. Journalists should have the right to write what they write because they do the work, et cetera, et cetera. But I think we have to, going back to Elon and his whole thing about championing free speech, while at the same time censoring individuals who just clown on him, um, places like Fox News and Alex Jones, who also got sued by the parents of Sandy Hook survivors um, and, and, and victims, I think there has to be a greater sort of concentration of like, what do we do when people on air are using their lie? words? Yes, lie, but <laughs> lie for content purposes, uh-huh. lie for clicks. This, because of the lies that got spread during COVID, arguably ten thousand, tens of thousands of people died. Mm-hmm. They were doing, they were drinking bleach, like they were doing these things because of individuals out there just doing, saying one thing, and then in their own personal lives doing another thing. Mm-hmm. And I think that should be prosecutable i think that should be censorable Mm -hmm. where it's like how can you do that how can you stand on on a on a multi-million dollar billion dollar platform like fox news and do that is that not what currently is uh uh, available to be prosecutable under like libel laws and like where but that's usually like if i say something about a person that's a lie not a false fact yes Mm -hmm. and i mean same thing with donald trump he can tweet all day complete fabricated lies that he himself doesn't believe. And I would say, hey, let's put you under oath. If you really believe this, say that under oath. And then if we prove... But they will say it under oath and and, and, it, and it won't mean a thing. No, they'll plead the fifth because he did that already. <laughs> he was just recently in a, in a, a, a trial 
um, getting questioned, and he pled the fifth on everything. I could see the parallel between like something like this in terms of like what they're uh, going back to Greg Abbott and what he's proposing in terms of like anyone that sells fentanyl mm -hmm. can be charged for murder mm -hmm. for the deaths that fentanyl causes. So right. anyone that propagates lies can be charged for murder, violence, you know, conspiracy to, et cetera, mm -hmm. uh, based off of the people that uh, consume their lies and then act upon them. Because freedom of speech was fine when there were 13 colonies <laughs> and, you know, like 12 people in each, in, you know, each individual colony. But now with the internet, with the reach of media, is insane where like you can have i feel like tucker collison is coming for us real quick he is <laughs> with his bow tie and i'm coming for him in his bow tie damn right which i'm really upset about because like i love a good bow tie <laughs> and now i feel like i can't we can't go there anymore damn it we can't go there anymore because tucker collison has uh Ruined has, fashion choices for everyone has cornered the market of bow ties and now like i'm not allowed otherwise i will be pushed in the it's like wearing corral. a red hat it's like wearing a red hat yeah which i don't wear hats no. but i can imagine that if you were a red hat wearing person and uh did not vote for donald trump now you can't wear red hats okay what's coming out what's coming out what's coming next i'm super excited for oh damn this just falls right back into that idea of like millennials we old and we're just going back to this i'm going to this performance of the Austin Philharmonic Orchestra uh -huh. doing a mashup of Brahms mm -hmm. and Radiohead's OK Computer. Of course. Oh. We old. <laughs> we old. It's OK. Uh, and when I tell you I teared up just watching the trailer for it, <laughs> I'm... We old. Okay. Um, that's all. That's all. That's it. You have Radiohead and Brahms. <laughs> I have a bear losing his shit on cocaine. On cocaine. And yeah. that's where we're going to go. Um, let's wrap this up. I think that's it. it. So first and foremost, thank you to everyone who has uh, rocked with us this far into the pod. Um, if you like it, we'll do another one. We'll do another one. Tell, tell us if this one was depressing. I feel a little downhearted after it. I might need more tequila. So actually what I'm going to get after this is wings. I'm going for wings. Yes. And that's Shout out to Wayne's Wings. Winning awards everywhere. A San Antonio staple. A, new, a Texas staple. Wayne's Wings is voted the number one uh, wing place in all of Texas. So we want to shout them out. And I'm going legit. there afterwards. We could get some Wayne sponsorship, I think. I'm he I don't. I mean. We, well, we got to get more listenership. <laughs> so tell a friend. To Tell listen to us like so that we can get Wayne's Wings sponsorship. Yeah, uh, because I'm not opposed to drinking tequila and eating wings at the same time Say while less. talking about current events. That's okay. right. Uh, so like, subscribe, rate, review wherever you can. Um, if you want to follow Rooster on social media, you can follow him where? At Roost, uh, RoostMTZI on IG. Um, yeah. And if you want to follow Chibi, you can follow Chibi at... Gemini's on Instagram. That's G-E-M-I-N-E-Y-E-S. Gem in 
eyes. Uh, I got nothing else to say about that. This has been a pleasant conversation that has made me... No, to be to be fully honest and transparent, I'm really hopeful about the future because I get to talk to a lot of Gen Zers in my job and performing, and I think we're going to be okay. They're awesome. As doomsday as we felt today, uh, I think we're going to be okay. So shout out to the future. Shout out to y'all. We appreciate y'all. Bye. Bye.